Thirteen. Chapter thirteen. What can the state do? Can the state do anything to put trusteeship of the family back into the parents' hands? Maybe you feel that it's a lost cause. Maybe you think that the state can't legislate morality. In fact, the state can't legislate anything except morality. All law is legislated morality. The law says no to some people who practice certain prohibited acts. These acts are prohibited because the legislators say that they are immoral. So the state can do something. Remember the early 1960s when the civil rights issue broke loose. Did the government do something to change laws that prohibited blacks from eating and living around whites? You bet. The government legislated morality. The social, political, and most of all, the attitudinal change came to a society that probably really didn't want the changes, but people complied, and people changed. In retrospect, they changed incredibly fast. Within a decade, the old South was dead. The civil rights legislation accomplished something. The Civil War's bloodshed didn't touch. The timing was right. Enough support to get the laws passed. Enough guilt to weaken the resistance. Enough determination to push on through. A change in the law helped to change people's minds, but their attitudes had already been slowly undermined by a generation of ideological spade work. This, in short, is what the Biblical Blueprint series is all about. Ideological spade work. It will set the Christian agenda for the next generation, at least, and maybe this one. The agenda I want to propose, however, moves in the direction of the general public and against governmental officials. How do I know? Take a look at the chart below. Appearing in Family Building, Regal Press 1986, it compares a number of studies that polled government and law and justice leaders. Do you see what I see? This chart indicates that our representatives are not representing even the general public. In every category, the civil government is way out of step. The average person, when it comes to religion, is much more concerned about religious matters than our politicians. The average person reads his Bible more. Almost half the representatives have never read the Bible. The average person encourages others to turn to religion more. A greater percentage of people have made a personal commitment than our politicians' responses indicate. A larger percentage of the general public attend church. Statistics say most government officials never attend church. They stay home and watch television commentators instead, who also never go to church. Is it any wonder our government is in such miserable shape? When we come to the response of evangelicals, as compared to the politicians, the contrast is unbelievably sharp. So what? Votes. That's so what? There are an estimated 60 million evangelicals in this country. That's a huge number of people that could completely alter the political census as we know it. Believe me, the liberals know it. I think it's time we start throwing our political weight around. But we've got to know what to say to the state. We need to make sure that we lay out a biblical agenda. We have to work within the political arena with this agenda. Nothing else will work when it comes to the state. If Christians want the state to change, 
they'll have to become political stewards. I don't mean they have to stop being spiritual, heaven forbid. No, they will have to apply their spirituality to the political arena. For you to become a political steward working within the political arena, you will have to take the following minimum steps. Number one, register to vote. You would be surprised how many Christians are not even registered to vote. The Liberals go round in cars and round up people to register. You need to round up everyone in your church to make sure that he is registered. Tell your pastor to announce it from the pulpit. Have seminars on voting procedures. Learn when the voter registration deadlines fall. 2. Pick a party to work in. Try to choose a party that best represents your Christian beliefs. As of the moment, the Republican Party is the best choice because it is willing to incorporate pro-life resolutions in its party platform. If you happen to choose another party, make sure you think through a strategy for working your way to the top of the influential ladder. By the way, if you decide to become a mole inside a liberal party, realise that it will probably take much longer and a lot more patience. I don't recommend this approach unless you're extremely experienced and knowledgeable. The long-term goal is to make every political party self-consciously Christian. A self-consciously Christian party, just as it's the goal to make every institution self-consciously Christian. The goal is to subdue the whole earth. No loopholes, no escape hatches, no King's X from the King of Kings. But it's easier to subdue your backyard before you subdue the Sahara Desert. Practice in your backyard. 3. Attend precinct meetings. Our political system is designed to operate from the bottom up. Call the local party headquarters to find out what precinct you're in. You can probably find the party's number in the telephone book. If not, then call the local chamber of commerce. When you call the party headquarters you want to work in, ask for a map of the precincts for the entire area. Take it to your church and ask the officers if you can post it on the bulletin board. This is just one more thing you can do to get Christians involved in politics. Remember, all party resolutions begin at the precinct level. The party platform is set here. When you go to a precinct meeting, you'll be impressed with how much power you, John Q. Citizen, has in this country. 4. Get involved working for the party you're registered with. Recently, my wife and I learned an important lesson at our party's county convention. The chairman of the resolutions committee said to several Christians who were trying to get a strong pro-life resolution through, I'm all for pro-life, but the party wants to know if you people are just going to be one-issue people or if you're going to work for the party. Because if you're just single-issue folks, you're not going to get the attention of the leadership. Whether you like this attitude or not, that's the way it is in any organisation. Jesus gave us this principle. Dominion through service. The people who roll up their shirt sleeves and work get listened to. Hardly anyone is willing to work this way. Apathy rules the public, so the political professionals rule the public. That's why the American party system is a sitting duck. Act like a steward of political power. You already are one since you have the vote. There is no escape from this responsibility. It's like responding to the offer of the gospel. No decision is still a decision. I won't get involved is a decision. 
a decision to remain a political slave. This is how the system works and can be changed. If you want to change it, you've got to do these four things. But now, let's get more specific. Suggested resolutions. If you want to change society at the civil level, you've got to use the existing political machinery. You've got to vote, but you've got to do more. This means getting resolutions passed that can be made into laws. At the local level, you can use your own precinct involvement to submit key resolutions. I've already suggested that the application of the capital offence laws would go a long way, but we're a long way from that happening. But what should we push for in the meantime? In the following, I'm suggesting 10 resolutions that are already being applied at a local precinct level in Texas and winning. Why the local and not the federal level? The present direction of our politics is shifting back to state control. This is good and it means that the way to affect your local situation best is through local expressions of political parties. Forget about the federal level for the time being. You can't win there anyway, but you can win at the local level. So here are 10 suggested resolutions that will move our society closer to one that puts family trusteeship back into the hands of parents. Resolution on opposition to minority status for homosexuals. Whereas the practice of homosexuality is an abomination before God and is indicative of a society's moral decadence and leads to the spread of severe diseases such as AIDS and whereas the legalization of the practice of homosexuality would confer public acceptability to this activity and would lead inexorably to the breakdown of the traditional family unit and subsequently to the destruction of our nation and whereas state officials are refusing to defend anti-sodomy laws which are being challenged by the practitioners of homosexual conduct in the federal courts. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the party in Precinct X calls upon the governor and other state officials to defend the present anti-sodomy statutes against the challenge which it is experiencing in the federal courts and further calls upon civil magistrates at all levels to denounce this activity and to maintain and strictly enforce laws prohibiting homosexual conduct and be it further resolved that homosexuality should not be taught or modelled as an alternate lifestyle in our public schools, nor should marriages between homosexuals, nor should the adoption of children by homosexuals be allowed in our state or nation, and be it further resolved that no person shall receive special legal entitlements or privileges based on his sexual perversion. We start where we are in the society where we are, Long-awaited revival comes and millions are pulled into the kingdom by God's Spirit and when these new converts learn what God requires of the civil magistrates with respect to sodomy, God doesn't change his mind after all. Then we can deal even more severely with this sin. Today, we can't get any punitive measures, but we can keep sexual perversion away from the public sector through existing laws. We can get the existing laws enforced. That's a good first step. AIDS has begun to change the public's view of homosexuality. Actually, the vast majority of Americans are revolted by homosexuality and if they knew what really goes on between homosexuals, especially males, they would be more than revolted. Very few voters do know because such unspeakable perversions 
cannot be mentioned in the commonly available press, and certainly not on television. The very level of perversion of the perverts at present shields them. Yet, even what little the voters know appalls them. They have been pushed into a confused, embarrassed and temporary silence by all the loose talk about supposed constitutional rights of sodomites, rights that every constitutional lawyer knew didn't exist 20 years ago, let alone in the days of the Founding Fathers. But AIDS is getting public outrage out of the closet. AIDS is presently a politically protected disease, but it won't be for much longer. Voters are becoming much more willing to act, even if their motives are purely pragmatic. It now costs an average of $140,000 in tax dollars to care for each AIDS victim in a public hospital, and it's money down the drain. Every single one of them dies within two years. There is no cure. All our public hospitals will be filled with nothing but AIDS victims if the rate of increase in AIDS victims continues for 10 more years. This will literally bankrupt the public health budgets of the major cities within just a few years. It will create the setting for a moral and political revolution, an effect that bankrupt public treasuries usually create. Christians will then use this marvellous opportunity to move society closer to a biblical solution. A solution that protects the family. Meanwhile, we position ourselves as the one group that sounded the alarm in advance. Some Christians may say that this is an unloving, uncharitable attitude. The Christians are embarrassed by God and embarrassed by the specific requirements that God has clearly set forth with respect to society's legitimate and proper control of homosexual behaviour. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13 This embarrassment about God's laws will be gone before the century ends. When AIDS begins to hit the American heterosexual community, as it now has in Africa, and when the terror comes close to Christian homes, and when there is no room in hospitals for sick Christians, then today's hesitant, soft-hearted Christians will change their minds and stop apologising for God's supposed harshness. A worldwide social and religious transformation is coming in the form of a virus. Christians and non-Christian heterosexuals are about to learn what the penalty is for being embarrassed by God's civil law and refusing to impose it. The penalty is visible judgment. There is nothing like God's visible judgment to firm up practical Christian theology. There is also nothing like it for weakening or even eliminating God's opponents. This may sound radical today. In 1995, it will sound too soft. Resolution on Taxes Be it resolved that party in Precinct X opposes a state income tax and any new kinds of taxes or additional tax increases on the state or local levels. I have spent an entire chapter of this book discussing how a graduated tax system has hurt the family. If your state has an income tax, you've got to get rid of it. If nothing else, freeze taxation. Many reliable sources say that if you can just freeze taxation, we'll be able to win eventually. Remember, as long as the state has a graduated tax structure, you're just, you're going to have a difficult time accommodating a decent inheritance for your family. Resolution on the Sovereignty of the Family 
Be it resolved that the party in Precinct X recognises that the monogamous family is a God-ordained institution and is one of the foundational units of society, the family is primarily responsible for the welfare, education and property of its members. The family is defined as those related by blood, marriage or adoption. All attempts to weaken or destroy the family, including no-fault divorce, desertion, pornography, homosexuality, adultery and numerous forms of governmental interference and control over the family, must be stopped. This resolution is a definition of the family that protects its biblical prerogatives. If you can get this one through, you'll neutralise a lot of legislation against the family. Resolution on Pro-Life Whereas God is the author of life and that human life originates at conception, now therefore be it resolved by the party in Precinct X that abortion must be opposed as the shedding of innocent blood which will surely bring God's judgment upon our nation, that a human life amendment to the US Constitution must be adopted by the US Congress to protect innocent human life from the point of conception until the time of natural death, and that we can call upon our state legislature to pass appropriate legislation to this end. Let's face it, even if the Congress passes a pro-life law, it will have to be adopted by the individual states. The battle is going to boil down to your local community. Regardless of what the feds do, the local citizenry will have to recriminalize abortion. Resolution on non-state schools Whereas education is the primary responsibility of parents and that parents, not the state, are the stewards of the children, now, therefore, be it resolved that the party in Precinct X opposes all attempts by the state or local government to interfere with parental rights in education. And we further support the present status of maintaining the private, parochial and home schools free from state government control. You should know by now that the entrenched, tax-supported, humanist state bureaucrats want to control what your children learn. It's probably the biggest fight today between the family and the state. You've got to push for positive legislation that will protect your right, even if you don't want to use it, to educate your own children without governmental control. And if you don't, then the government will control everything. It's an all-or-nothing battle. Resolution on Right to Work Whereas any individual should have the freedom to bid competitively for any job he desires without being forced to join or pay dues to any organisation as a condition of employment, therefore, be it resolved by the party in Precinct X that the state maintain or institute a Right to Work law. What happens to a family if its members particularly the parents, are not able to work without oppression. They are severely inhibited. Unfortunately, the government seems to be in the business of all kinds of oppression. That's why it protects labour unions in many states. We don't advocate government anti-union activity. We just advocate a man's legal immunity from prosecution or violence if he bids on a job. If you want freedom for the family, you've got to push for the right to work, by which we mean right to bid. Resolution on Opposing Gun Control Be it resolved that the party of Precinct X reaffirms the right of American citizens to keep and bear arms 
as guaranteed by the Second Amendment of the US Constitution, and opposes any and all legislation that would restrict that right. You can't expect to preserve the traditional family if you can't protect it. Keep in mind that communism is rapidly coming close to American borders in Mexico. Keep in mind that we live in a violent society. Keep in mind that there are not enough policemen to respond quickly enough if thugs attack your house. One man said in our last precinct meeting, quote, If I have a gun, I feel that I can do at least something to protect my family if it's attacked. But one thing is for certain, if I don't have a gun, I can't do much of anything. Unquote. Another man said, quote, I have never owned a gun and don't plan to, but I think I have the right to own one in the event that I want to. End quote. When guns are outlawed, only outlaws will own guns. The Constitution says that law-abiding citizens shouldn't have to become outlaws with respect to gun ownership. Resolution on Victims' Rights Whereas the federal and state judiciary have exhibited an inordinate concern for the right of criminals as opposed to the rights of those who have been the victims of criminals and their crimes, and whereas this has led to a disrespect for law which threatens to undermine the very foundations of our society, now, therefore, be it resolved by the party in Precinct X that restitution should be instituted so that victims of crime are compensated by those who perpetrate crimes against them for injuries and losses to their person and private property, and that capital punishment be meted out to those whose crimes are capital in nature. Jails aren't biblical. Restitution is biblical. Jails are training centres for crime, and they will soon become distribution centres for AIDS. Fines to the state aren't biblical, except to be used to compensate victims of unsolved criminal acts. Criminals should pay money to their victims, not to the state. Crime is personal. Compensation should be personal. The state is to promote justice, not to become a self-financing bureaucracy. As I've already said, you're not going to be able to get the biblical death penalties reinstituted overnight. But this approach is designed to change the emphasis of law from reform to restitution. The biblical position is that people are best reformed by having to pay restitution instead of being incarcerated. Resolution on the Sovereign of the Church Be it resolved that the party in Precinct X acknowledges that the Church is a God-ordained institution with a sphere of authority separate from that of civil government, and thus the Church is not to be regulated, controlled or taxed by any level of civil government. Remember, historically, the Church has been the best buffer zone between the family and the state. Nothing can protect the family better, so what happens to the Church indirectly affects the family. This is why the state is simultaneously attacking the family and the Church. The resolution above is designed to remove all regulations of the Church. Again, on this issue, it's an all-or-nothing proposition. If the state is allowed to regulate the church at all, then it has the power to regulate everything. Resolution on the legitimate function of civil government Whereas God is sovereign over all the world, 
and has divinely instituted civil government among men for his own glory and for the public good and for the administration of this institution, he has ordained civil rulers to exercise their authority under him in obedience to his laws in order to promote justice, restrain wickedness, punish evildoers and protect the life, liberty and private property of the citizens and provide for domestic and national defence and, whereas, when civil government assumes responsibilities and authority beyond this well-delineated scope, it occurs at the expense of the other God-ordained institutions, the family and the church. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the party in Precinct X supports this historic concept established by our nation's founding fathers of limited civil government jurisdiction under the laws of God and repudiates the humanistic doctrine that the state is sovereign over the affairs of men and over the family and the church. It is necessary to re-educate the populace on the proper biblical and constitutional role of the state. Our problem is that most people are ignorant. This resolution will do a lot of educating. It intends, however, to limit government and make a strong statement against the present humanistic view of the state, the one that has stripped the family and church of their biblical responsibilities. Here are 10 resolutions that you can take to your precinct meetings, study them, propose them when the opportunity arises. They don't have to be introduced at the first precinct meeting. They may not all be politically acceptable in your state. Get what you can. Don't appear to be a red hot, especially an amateur red hot. Gain their confidence. We are slicing salami one piece at a time, just like our opponents did. God will drive out our enemies slowly, year by year, just as he promised the Israelites. Exodus chapter 23, verses 27 to 30. Bide your time. Probably, by the time you read this book, you will have several months before the next precinct meeting in your area. That's not a problem because you may have to take a crash course in civics to understand how local government works. Also, don't worry if you have to modify these resolutions for your local situation. For your information, they were originally drafted by the Texas Grassroots Coalition Incorporated. It is a Christian political action group that lobbies and gets information out to Christians and other concerned citizens. If you want to start a similar version or find out how to modify the resolutions to fit your state situation, write them. Send a check to cover their expenses. There are no free lunches in political reform movements. Here is their address. Texas Grassroots Coalition Incorporated, 9501 Capital of Texas, North Suite, 304 Austin, Texas, 78759. There is also a specialised programme that trains people in details of getting elected to public office. I have decided not to go public with the name and address of this organisation. It is listed in the Biblical Blueprints book on politics, Liberator of the Nations, by Dennis Peacock. Don't grab for the robes of authority prematurely, as Adam did. Your first goal is to get involved in local precinct politics, not run for Congress. First things first. Summary I've told you how to become a political steward to change the state. If you want to change civil laws that will put trusteeship of the family back in the family's hands, 
you're going to have to get involved in politics. The state is a political organism and there's no way to change it from the outside. Sure, you can write letters, but that's not going to change things. So, I told you about four simple steps to get involved. 1. Register to vote. 2. Pick a party to work with. 3. Get involved with your local precinct. 4. Work for your local party and gain influence. To be even more specific, I gave you 10 resolutions to push for at your local precinct meetings. They're not the last word, but a place to begin to implement a biblical view of the family in society. They were originally framed by the Texas Grassroots Coalition Incorporated. I think everyone can do these things. If you're not willing to take these steps, however, you'll have only yourself to blame if the states take complete control of your children, family and future. If you've learned anything from this book, I hope you understand that you can't protect the family by familism. You can't save your family by locking yourself up with your own family and hiding from the world. You've got to act on several fronts. There's a war on the family. It's under siege. If you act, you can help bring the family back to a place of real influence. But you've got to take what you've learned in this book and act now. Oh yes, I nearly forgot. Never, ever vote yes on a school bond proposal. No more long-term debt, which is against the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 15, Romans chapter 13, verse 8. If 60 million American Christians automatically voted no on every school bond proposal, we would get the immediate attention of the education bureaucrats. We would directly affect their wallets. Finally, if you run for the public school board, do it with one intention only, to create an orderly transition to exclusively private education. If you can't be elected on this platform, as seems likely, then become the candidate who wants to reduce waste. The biblical definition of wasteful public schools. Public schools. Your real agenda. No more pay increases for teachers. No more school building programs and a reduction next year in property taxes. Forever. Until the last public school superintendent is strangled in the non-negotiable demands of the last National Education Association Union president, the humanists' war against the family isn't over. This audio version of Who Owns the Family? God or the State? has been produced by Reconstructionist Radio and narrated by Nathan F. Conkey. Visit garynorth.com forward slash freebooks to download the PDF of this book.